Garden Basics with Farmer Fred is brought to you by Smart Pots, the original lightweight, long-lasting fabric plant container. It's made in the USA. Visit smartpots.com/fred for more information and a special discount. That's smartpots.com/fred. Welcome to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. If you're just a beginning gardener or you want good gardening information, well, you've come to the right spot. If you live in USDA Zone 9, chances are you have attempted to grow an avocado tree. Sure, it's easy. Well, if you live in Santa Barbara, Ventura, or San Diego, where the temperature ranges between 50 and 85 degrees usually. But for the rest of us... Growing avocados is a challenge. Tom Spellman of Dave Wilson Nursery says he can make it a heck of a lot easier for you to grow backyard avocados throughout USDA Zone 9. He's got the tips. And the plant of the week? It's a low-water-use succulent that attracts squadrons of hummingbirds. It's the coral yucca. Warren Roberts of the UC Davis Arboretum tells us all about it. It's all on episode 113 of the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast, brought to you today by Smart Pots and Dave Wilson Nursery. And we'll do it all in under 30 minutes. Let's go. If you live in USDA Zone 9, you may have had the dream of growing an avocado in your backyard. Can you? Maybe. It depends. Good luck. Well, people love avocados, and uh, all that love kind of overrides the common sense of a lot of uh, gardeners in USDA Zone 9 who are trying to grow avocados. Let's check in with Tom Spellman of Dave Wilson Nursery. He is not unfamiliar at all with avocado trees, and uh, if he would wear a pom-pom dress, he would be the biggest cheerleader for growing avocados that are not Ventura, Santa Barbara, and San Diego, I think. Is that right, Tom? That is absolutely true, Fred, and no, I'm not going to wear a pom-pom dress. Okay, all right. <laughs> but I am uh, I am one of the world's biggest fans of growing avocados, and I think that uh, from, from my perspective over the 40 years that I've been doing this, avocados are probably some of the most rewarding trees that I have ever, ever put in. I, I just absolutely love avocados. My wife and I try and eat uh, an avocado or half an avocado every day. And, you know, with with a few different varieties, you know, the nice thing about avocados is they hold on the tree for many, many months. So really with three or four varieties, you can pick avocados every single day of the year, which is absolutely wonderful because uh, at, a, at a dollar a piece or a dollar fifty a piece or I've even seen some varieties like reed in the farmer's market for $5 mm. and that's, that's getting expensive. I, you know, um, being able to go out and look at those on, on your tree is very, very rewarding. There are definitely some challenges with growing avocados, even in zone nine. So uh, one of the, one of the things that people really need to be aware of is, uh, avocados need fast, fast draining soil. And that's why when you look at, at the commercial groves, when they plant a new commercial avocado grove, they they will run their uh, north-south rows about three to four feet high and plant up on the berm of those rows. Or they'll create an individual mound that's two or three or four feet high for each tree because they want to get that top root up uh, above the grade level. If you plant an avocado below grade, 
or even at grade, if your soil's even slightly heavy, you're probably going to lose that tree in a year to two years. And that's an investment. You don't want to lose that investment. So you want to make sure that either you have really fast draining soil or you're planning on some kind of a rise. Create a raised bed. Just create a mound. Just keep that top root up above your native grade level so that 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 top root can oxygenate and and breathe and you'll have a healthy avocado tree. Yeah, if you got the weather that cooperates with you. Absolutely. So that's probably the number one most important concern is making sure that you have the drainage, making sure you have that that top root aeration. Uh, Another thing that people don't really realize is avocados are very, very susceptible to sun scald and sunburn damage. Mm. So when you look at a young avocado tree, the bark is green. It's very, very tender. I mean, the the wood is very uh, fleshy. It's not like you know, the wood of an apple tree or the wood of a peach tree or something like that. You can you can break it very easily or you can damage it very easily. So it is very susceptible to sunburn. So this time of year is a good time to make sure that you're protecting that tree from sun damage through the summer months. And I and I don't mean by putting an umbrella over it or putting a shade canopy over it. You don't want to shade the tree. You want to protect the bark. So whitewash is is uh, coming into play when i say whitewash i mean you can you can buy over-the-counter products at most retail garden centers you can you can buy a tree trunk white or arizona tree paint there's several brands out there in fact not even all of them are white anymore you can buy beige if you want uh, it just needs to be a light neutral color and typically if i'm using either uh, just a water base latex type paint or if i'm using one of those over-the-counter uh, tree protectors i am going to lighten that product up by two-thirds with water two-thirds so, mm. two-thirds one-third paint two-thirds water you're not you're not painting the house or painting a fence all you're doing is putting a light coating on all of that young tender green exposed bark now the commercial guys i've even i, I was just looking at an avocado grove the other day um, up in Santa Barbara County, where they just planted many, many acres of new trees. And instead of going through and whitewashing the structure itself, uh, they used a, uh, I believe it was a kaolic clay. Mm-hmm. And they put, they, they find it down, you know, um, diluted it with, with water and, and ran it through with some sort of a filter. And they actually applied it, uh, with a sprayer to the foliage and to the trunk concentrating very very heavily on the southwest face i mean that's that's the area where that hot afternoon sun is coming in and doing most of the damage to avocado it's not being damaged on the east side from morning sun it's not being damaged on the north side where there's really not much sun exposure it's that hot afternoon sun in july august and september so it's coming in from that that hot afternoon exposure from the southwest so that is the area that needs to be protected the most against sunburn. We should point out for the do-it-yourselfers that if you're making your own whitewash, that paint, that white latex paint, should be interior white latex paint, not exterior white latex Correct. paint mixed with and, 66% and, yeah, water. Sure, yeah, make sure that it's not an oil base or not an acrylic base. It needs to be strictly water base. And like I said, you're not painting the fence, so you can cut it by 50% or for me, two thirds with water 
and and apply it that way. So I'm 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 not trying to make it look like it's this you know pure white tree. I just want to protect that that bark from that hot afternoon sun exposure. What are the best varieties for those who don't live in Santa Barbara, San Diego, Ventura, and want to grow some avocados that uh, in areas of USDA Zone 9 where there's more variability in the temperatures? When you're talking Santa Barbara, that's like Sunset Zone 24, where the temperature very seldom varies between, what, 50 and 80 or whatever. And if if you live in an area of USDA Zone 9 where temperatures can get up to 100 degrees or down to 32, or 35 degrees well that may require protection but are there varieties that can take a wider temperature range absolutely fred the um the the mexican varieties are typically hardier in in both um their uh, susceptibility to frost issues and also their susceptibilities to heat issues so a lot of varieties like uh, mexicola or uh, mexicola grande or stewart are probably the top three, and then you have uh, other varieties like bacon or zutano that are that are have uh, some Mexican parentage. Fuerte is actually uh, has some Mexican parentage in it. So those varieties are going to take temperature extremes on on the high side and on the low side better than the true Guatemalan type. The, the true Guatemalan type would be like a Hass. You know, that's that's one that you, you can certainly grow it in areas where you get. 32 degrees in the winter and 100 degrees in the summer, but it's going to require a little more protection where the Mexican types are, are um, normally much less susceptible to that um, severe weather damage. So seem to have a tougher leaf and they're less susceptible to wind damage as well. Those are good varieties to consider. And honestly, Stewart, I think, is one of my favorite avocado varieties. It's, it's, a, it's a little compact grower. It only gets about 15 to 20 feet. Maybe a little bit bigger than that if it's if it's kept unchecked. But again, you can easily size manage it to a size that's manageable for you. And and it is a just a deep green leaf. It uh, it blooms for a long period of time. It's a good sized fruit, up to about a pound, and and the seed is not all that large. So uh, it's a smooth uh, dark skin variety. Very very creamy. I have been picking Stewart's uh, beginning and about. The end of October, and I picked my last one about March 15th. Oof. All right. And that was developed. Nice long season. I believe the Stewart was developed in San Bernardino County, and uh, in San Bernardino County, you can get really hot in the summertime. Absolutely. So that, you know, that's a good selection. But, you know, the thing you want to consider with avocados, if you're in a zone where you can be successful with them, is grow some successive ripening varieties. You know, you don't want to limit yourself to one, although... Almost any variety is going to give you three months, four months, five months worth of fruit. But if you were to plant, say, uh, a Hass that's ripe right now, you know, you're going to get fruit March, April into mid to late summer. And then follow that with a reed. So you're going to get reed starting in, in early summer and producing right up until about October or November. And then you have one of those uh, Mexican types like a Stewart or a maybe a bacon or a zutano. So now you've got fruit in the fall. It's going to be late August into September and holding on the tree until January. And then you put in a, a Fuerte or a, or a Pinkerton or a variety like that that's going to give you that wintertime fruit beginning in December, January, and producing right up until mid-season when, when the Haas is in fruit. So with four varieties, 
successive ripening varieties and you've got your A type and your B type flowers in there for good cross pollinization, now you can go out and pick at least two varieties of fruit almost every day of the year. And there's nothing better than than fresh avocados out of your backyard, especially if the ones you're buying in the store aren't of very good quality and you're paying a buck a piece for them. Avocado trees that I have seen succeed here in Sacramento County have some commonalities, and that is placement. And usually it's in an area that's getting reflected heat in the wintertime from a south or a west-facing wall. Plus, it's surrounded by a patio, some sort of concrete surface that also reflects heat. And there's also protection from the wind as well. And it never gets bigger than the house, to give you an idea of uh, where it gets affected by the colder temperatures. But that makes sense to me is basically grow it as a tall shrub and not necessarily a 50-foot tree. Absolutely. You know, you don't you don't need a shade tree that you're going to hang a hammock in. You want you want something that you can you can manage. Now, another nice thing about avocados, as, as opposed to a, a peach or a plum or a, a nectarine is, you know, they do hold on the tree for a long time. And I found early on when I first started planting avocado trees in, in my landscape, the neighbors are always looking over the fence. Oh, those birthdays are looking pretty good. And, you know, every time my my daughter comes over, she's got the Trader Joe's bag in her hand, and she walks right out to the backyard and, and picks a few fruits. She was here yesterday, and she picked about a dozen of my reed even before that. I'm really happy with them, but, uh, you know. It's your daughter. What are you going to do? Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a coveted fruit, and, and I found that an eight-foot tree didn't really give me enough. But I also found that a 10-foot pole and a basket picker gave me the ability to go out once a week and pick six or eight or 10 fruit and take them in and ripen them up on the kitchen counter. And that tree now was easy to manage. If I had to, if I had to go out and pick 500 plums with a 10 foot basket picker, that would be another story. But eight or 10 avocados takes a minute. And now I've got avocados for a week. So my, my, my management philosophy on size management with avocados and things that hold on the tree for a long time, that just increased dramatically. Now I can go out and manage a 15-foot tree with a 10-foot pole and a basket picker just as easy as I could manage an 8-foot plum tree. Where is the best place to store them after you've picked them, on the counter or in the refrigerator? I find that if you if you put them in the refrigerator uh, as soon as you pick them, it takes a lot longer for them to begin to physically mature and soften. If you uh, leave them on the kitchen counter for a few days and let them begin to soften, I don't, I don't want them to the point where they're starting to spoil, but you can just feel a little give. That's when I'm going to put them into the refrigerator and then I can take them out anytime and one more day on the counter and they're ready to go. You know, the one thing we didn't talk about and we should talk about is winter protection. We talked about summer protection with whitewash. What is the best ways to protect avocados where temperatures in the wintertime might drop below 40 degrees? If you if you have a low canopy tree, like, you know, the backyard orchard philosophy that we've discussed so many times, then you can easily throw a Tyvek sheet over it or uh, some plastic or something like that and, and keep it protected during the winter. And what, what I found a lot of people are doing is um, they're actually just running some lights up through the canopy of, of that tree during the winter months. And, and this is this is a great use for your antiquated uh, Christmas lights that you haven't put up in 10 years anyway. 
So you can you can run some of those uh, up and around your tree. So you're creating just enough warmth to keep that low, you know, frost off of the tree. And frost always settles straight down. So if, if you can keep some lights up in the top third of the tree, you're going to allow for enough uh, uh, heat uh, distribution there to keep that, that tree from freezing. And it works in, incredibly well. Just be safe. You know, you don't want that out there plugged in on a rainy night and you don't want to make sure that you're respecting the uh, the cords and things like that. But I've probably found um, more people having success using some sort of, of lighting than anything else as far as winter protection. And these are bulbs that actually emanate some heat like the old C7 or C9 Christmas tree bulbs. I've even known exactly. people who have hung shop lights in the trees. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, and anything just to... Uh, just to break that nighttime chill. And that's all you really have to do. And it, it only has to be from that point where you're, you know, I, I don't even, I've never even done it at, uh, at 31 or 32, but once you get down into the twenties, that's when you want to make sure that you're, you're protecting. I think that's when the damage is really going to mm. be done. And if you're in an area where you can get down into the teens, then maybe avocados aren't your thing to be there we go. Yes, indeed. It's Tom Spellman of Dave Wilson Nursery, wholesale grower of fruit and nut trees. But Tom, not avocados. No, Dave Wilson doesn't do avocados. But, um, you know, that's a part of my history growing up in this industry. And avocados and citrus uh, will always be a passion of mine. I love it. I love it. Tom Spellman, thanks so much for the avocado lessons. Thanks for the opportunity, Fred. You've heard me talk about Smart Pots, the award-winning fabric planter here on the Garden Basics podcast. They're durable and reusable. I've been using mine for five years now, and once again, they're being pressed into service in my yard. Yeah, I have this problem. I, I grow too many tomatoes for the amount of allotted sunny space I have for them. So those extra tomato plants go into the Smart Pots. I place them in scattered areas around the yard where I know they'll get enough sun, which is a premium in my yard. And even five years later, I can pick up those smart pots, plant and all, and move them around without fear of the smart pot tearing or ripping. Smart Pot's breathable fabric creates a healthy root structure for plants. And smart pots come in a wide variety of sizes and colors. Visit smartpots.com slash Fred for more information about the complete line of SmartPots lightweight fabric containers. And don't forget that slash Fred part, because on that page are details of discounts where you can buy SmartPots at Amazon. Okay, now I understand maybe you want to see the SmartPots before you buy them. That's not a problem. SmartPots are available at independent garden centers and select Ace and True Value stores nationwide. To find a store near you, visit SmartPots.com slash Fred. Are you thinking of growing fruit trees? Well, you probably have a million questions, like which fruit trees will grow where I live? What are the tastiest fruits? How do I care for these trees? The answers are nearby. They're just a click away with the informative fruit tube video series at DaveWilson.com. That's Dave Wilson Nursery, the nation's largest grower of fruit trees for the backyard garden. They've got planting tips, taste test results, links to nurseries in your area that carry Dave Wilson fruit trees. Your harvest to better health begins at DaveWilson.com.
every week, we like to talk with Warren Roberts. He's the Superintendent Emeritus of the University of California Davis Arboretum and Public Garden. He knows his plants, and he always has a great plant for us every week. And people love the succulents these days. And here is one from the agave family that I think is going to do uh, quite well for uh, much of uh, the United States, uh, especially if you're below the Mason-Dixon line and or up into the mid-Atlantic coast states and certainly uh, here in California. It's the, uh, well, Warren, you tell us, what plant is this? (laughs) Well, I, I call it the coral yucca. It's sometimes called red yucca. And it's Hesperaloe parviflora. Hesperalo means, by the way, the aloe from the west. Mm. In this case, it's native to Texas, New Mexico, down into Mexico, and is a very tough plant. Like many succulents, it is uh, doesn't need a lot of water. It does best in well-drained soil, but it's not that fussy. The leaves look ferocious. They look like they're spine-tipped. In fact, you can use it as a barrier, but if somebody happens to fall in it, they're not going to get wounded. Its bark is worse than its bite, I guess you might say. <laughs> the flowers are typically coral-colored, and the, uh, the, the flowering stem comes up out of the ground, kind of like a pink asparagus spike, and then it grows taller and branches. Usually, it, it doesn't grow straight up. It kind of curves one way or the other, and then produces branchlets, which uh, develop the, the flowers. This is one of the best of all hummingbird plants. Mm. In fact, one of the common names in um, uh, Spanish-speaking parts of the world is uh, yuca colibri. Sorry, yuca colibri. Colibri is a common name for for hummingbird in the Spanish-speaking parts of the world. Or yuca chuparrosa or yuca chupamirto. These are all Spanish names for this plant. Uh, another Spanish name is Samandoque. Whatever we call it, <laughs> a red yucca by any other name would be the same, I guess. And I've seen it in mass plantings, which are very effective. Um, it's kind of new in cultivation in California. I think I saw my first one uh, back in the 1970s and fell in love with it right away. It was growing across the street from where I live and found out what it was. It's used a lot in Arizona in horticulture. Uh, You see mass plantings in in the divider strips and highways. And there are some select forms that have been done. Mountain States Nursery has done some selection for shorter flower stems and more pure red uh, flowers. I think there's one called Stoplight. It's just (laughs) a beautiful bright red. And there's also a very pale yellow one that's been developed. And it's easy to plant easy to divide. And I remember one that that didn't seem to be doing very well in the Arboretum, and I dug it up, and actually the ground squirrels had eaten out the inside of it. So the uh, tufts of leaves, I simply took them, stripped off the leaves down to bare stem, and stuck them in the ground, and they grew, took off fine. Mm. So you can plant it even without, without roots. I got my start from the late Margaret Williams in Sparks, Nevada, she uh, gave, <laughs> one of my sisters was living in, um, what was this town? Oh, I can't remember the name now, but a very harsh climate town. And I asked Margaret, uh, what, oh, Tonopah, there we go. Tonopah. I asked, Tonopah. Halfway I asked between Margaret, Reno and Vegas. Yeah. That's that's right. The Mizpah Hotel. 
at any rate, uh, Margaret gave me some plants for my sister's garden, and one of them was red yucca. So I, I forget how many that she gave me, but I took one, and rather than plant it in my sister's garden, I planted it in my own garden, and I fell in love with it. Incidentally, if the stem gets broken, the flowering stem gets broken, don't don't take it out. Cut it back to where there's there's some small leaves clasping the stems. Cut it back to one of those small leaves, and it will branch out and bloom again. Hmm. So you could even you could even take it as a cut flower, but don't take the whole thing. Just take the top part, and it will will bloom again in that season. It starts with us. It starts a blooming. It starts showing color in early spring, and then blooms until until frost. And actually, in mild areas, it seems to bloom all year. But the thing is, don't don't cut off the flowering stems. If they show any green at all, cut them back a little bit, and they'll produce flowers again for you. And whenever you see a plant description that says the plant requires moderate to little water, that means it doesn't want to be planted in an area where drainage is too slow. So you may want to plant this one on a mound or, or even in a large container. Yes, and in areas that have dry summers, you uh, once it's established, you probably only need to water it every two or three weeks, mm. and it still will look good. It's the Hesperallo parviflora, also known as, I was hoping you'd fill it in. Oh, <laughs> also known as, as red yucca, or more accurately, coral yucca. The coral yucca, Hesperallo parviflora. What a great plant of the week, a low-water-use plant that attracts hummingbirds, beautiful flowers, and those spikes on those flowers, what, they can reach, what, eight or nine feet tall? Um, I guess they could, although most of the time they get about four feet tall. I, and you, you don't want to plant it too close to a path because the leaves uh, get to be about three feet long sometimes. Uh, so you need a, a bit of room for it. Easy to grow. All right, Hesperalo Parvaflora. Warren Roberts is the Superintendent Emeritus of the University of California Davis Arboretum and Public Garden. If if you don't live in Davis, heck, you can visit the Arboretum online. Find out about all their wonderful plants at arboretum.ucdavis.edu. Warren, thanks so much for the plant of the week. You're welcome, Fred. Garden Basics comes out every Tuesday and Friday and is brought to you by Smart Pots. It's available just about anywhere, and that includes Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. And for Northern California gardeners, it's the Green Acres Garden Podcast with Farmer Fred. It's available also wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and leaving comments. And thanks for listening.